Let's all stand, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I want to speak this morning on the joy of confidence. The joy of confidence. Look at uh, Ephesians 3 and start reading in verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, that's God the Father purposed that in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom... We have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. You see that? Let's read that verse 12 together. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You so much that we can know what we believe, that we can have full assurance, full confidence. And Lord, what, what joy that brings us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The joy of confidence. Do you know that there are people that go through their entire lives never being sure of anything? Never being sure of anything. Can you imagine? Very timid, careful. Just they, they don't know what is going on in the world. We as believers, we don't have to be that way. So I want us to go through this text. We're going to go through some scriptures today. And I want us to talk about confident faith. Confident faith. The first thing is we can have confidence in the truth. Confidence in the truth. Put a marker here in Ephesians 4 because we're going to be coming back here. This is where we're going to... I'm sorry, Ephesians 3. This is where we're going to be based today. But go with me to Matthew chapter 8. Pray for me. My brain's a little scattered. Let's make that John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Look with me at verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So where is the truth found in that text? In his word. Do you see that? Look, look at verse 31 again. Jesus then, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You can confidently know the truth. And remember from our series on Why Believe, if someone ever says, there's no such thing as truth, what should you ask that person? Is that true? Because if it's true, then it's false. It's interesting, isn't it? There's no such thing as truth. Well, is that a true statement? That is a statement of when someone claims that there is no truth, they believe that that's true, which undermines everything that they're saying about the truth. One of the problems that a lot of Christians have, because there are so many different kinds of teaching out there in Christianity, when you're asked a question about what you believe, you kind of you feel like you're standing on a ship in the middle of a of a roiling ocean, and, and you're trying to figure out, well, what are they going to think if I say this? What are they going to just tell the truth? Just tell the truth. The best thing to do when someone asks you what you believe would be to say this about what? Um, religion. What about religion? What do you want to know? Um, what do you believe about heaven? Oh, now I can give you a confident answer. Heaven's real. Heaven exists. 
Jesus said in John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. A few verses later, he said how you get there. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What do I believe about heaven? Heaven is the place where God dwells. And when I die, I am going to be with him in heaven. Well, what about me? What do you believe about me? Will I go to heaven? I don't know. You tell me, will you go to heaven? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, then no, you're not going to heaven. Let me tell you how you can know that you're going to heaven. Why would you say that? Because if they don't know, then they're not believing what the Bible says about eternal life. Amen? We can know these things. We can know them. We can know the truth. Now, I will say this. It takes some work to know the truth. When there are so many lying voices out there, how do you discern what's true and what's false? Well, you need to know what the Bible says about those things. So let me just ask you this question. According to Jesus Christ, is truth knowable? Okay, so we have like six people. Is, according to what Jesus Christ said, is truth knowable? Yes. yes. And so the Bible says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Yes, no, I believe, I don't believe. This is true, this is not true. And yet so many Christians... They're just afraid to give an answer. You can know the truth. You can know absolutely for sure what the truth is. Confidence in the truth. Go back with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Confidence in the truth, but not only confidence in the truth, but confidence in my future. Confidence in my future. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, look at what it says. For you Gentiles. Now, that's us. Unless, unless you are Jewish and you're, you're, you're physically a Jew. Not that you have associated with the Jewish faith, but that you were born into a Jewish family. If you're not, then you're a Gentile. All right? And that would be, I would say, almost everybody in this room. Would you all agree with that? Okay, again, there's six of you agreeing with me today, but that's all right. It's the summertime. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of grace, what's the dispensation of grace? It's dispensing. It's dispensing. So if you go to a candy dispenser, what do you expect to get out of that? Candy. Some of you weren't sure. You're not confident that you know the truth. If you go to a candy dispenser, what do you expect to get out of the, out of the dispenser? Candy. candy. What grows on a watermelon tree? Nothing. There's no such thing as a watermelon tree. What's wrong with you guys? Aren't you confident? Okay, now, if ye have heard of the dispensation of grace, that God has dispensed grace, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. What, what is that talking about? Well, the Apostle Paul, God gave the Apostle Paul a special message. And it's the message of salvation by grace. What a wonderful message that is. And who's it given to? Us Gentiles. That's us. Now, is that saying it's not for the Jews? No, no, it's for the Jews. We'll see that in a minute. But it's really important that you get this, that grace is a gift. 
That's what grace is. It's a gift. It's given. So now verse 3, how by revelation, that is that God gave him, God revealed it to Paul, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. What mystery? Nancy Drew? No. As I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So what mystery? It's very interesting. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. So before Paul and the apostles, this truth, this mystery wasn't revealed. As it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And what is that mystery? Here it is, verse 6, it's defined. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. So what is my future? Because I believe the gospel... The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for my sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Is that the gospel? That's the gospel. If I believe that, if I trust in that, if I rest in that, I believe that Jesus died for me, and I acknowledge Him as my Savior, realizing that I can't save myself, then my future is secure. Look at what it says in verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. Fellow heirs with who? With Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you something. Does Jesus Christ deserve everything? And the Bible says everything is His. That, that's what God is going to give His Son. Everything. Then you know what the Bible says about us? We are fellow heirs with Him. So, Bill Gates. I, I don't even know. Does Bill Gates have kids? I don't know. I don't know. Does he have kids? Oh, my son is doing this, yes. All right. So, let's say that Bill and Melinda Gates, that they make a will, and they say that my son, Thorogood, and my daughter, Beaufort, that I am going to leave all of my 70, 80 billion dollars to them. But as a fellow heir, Jim Alter. Oh, cha-ching. That would be so cool. And I would be praying, let them die soon, let them die soon. Let, no, that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> Come on, you would too. Don't judge me. You know you would be too. You'd be counting the days. How old is he now? What is the average life expectancy for a geek? Let's see. I don't know. <laughs> And it would be so cool to be a fellow heir, a joint heir with Bill Gates' kids. Can I tell you something? Jesus has a whole lot more than Bill Gates. Everything is His. Everything is His. And according to the Bible, I'm a fellow. My future is secure. I can have confidence in the future. That's, that's really cool. So I have confidence in the truth. Truth does exist. And it's revealed in His Word. I can have confidence in my future. There's not a worry. There's not concern. Young people, how many of you guys, seriously, you don't really know exactly what you're going to be doing in life yet? Would you raise your hands, any young people? Right? How many of you adults don't really know what you're going to be doing in life yet? Yeah. Larry, you just retired. What are you going to do with yourself? I've got work for you. Come see me after the service. We have lots of things we need to get done. It, it's really interesting that 
for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, we are concerned with material things. We are concerned that the mortgage will be paid, that when I retire, I'm going to be able to live. All of those things are important to us. Amen? Isn't that right? But it's so secondary. It's so secondary to eternity. Why? The Bible says, set your affection on things above. And so we are, we're looking at spiritual things and eternal things. And so I have confidence in my future. I know. I know that my eternity is secure in Him. And you know what that does? That gives me confidence. And it gives me joy. My message today is the joy of confidence. The joy of confidence. Isn't it awesome when you know what to do? When I went to work for Dave McCracken in Oklahoma, um, and he hired me as his assistant pastor. And then he was real busy. So for the first six months, I didn't have any idea what my job was. I didn't know whether I was doing a good job. I didn't know whether I was doing a bad job because I didn't know what my job was. That was a bummer. I didn't like that at all. There was no confidence. Isn't it cool when you know exactly what you're supposed to do and then when you do it, there's that sense of accomplishment because you fulfilled the, the, the job, you fulfilled the purpose that you set out to accomplish that day. It's a really cool thing. But isn't it frustrating when you start a job and you can't finish it? You ever been frustrated by that? I stripped my deck a week or two ago to, to stain it. It's still not stained. Every time I look out the back door and I see that unstained deck, there's kind of a weight that's on my shoulders, you know, because it's not done yet. And so do you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to tell Laura to go stain the deck. No, I'm kidding. I'm not <laughs> Sometime soon, I've got to get that because there's a job that's not finished. Do you know why my, do you know why my eternity is secure? Why am I? I have confidence in the future. Look at Philippians. Keep your place in Ephesians, of course. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So just turn over a couple of pages. Look at verse 6. Philippians 1 and verse 6. All right. It says, being, what's that next word? Can we say it confidently? Let's try this. Being what? Confident. Confident. Of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul was confident of for the, the Christians, those believers in Philippi. That Jesus Christ, who had saved them, was going to continue his work in them. He was going to perform it. He was confident in it. Do you know what I'm confident of? That Jesus is going to continue performing a work in me. How many of you gl are glad that Jesus isn't done with you yet? Don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you disappointed Jesus this week? It's interesting. Can I give you the answer? None of you. Disappointment is unfulfilled expectations. Jesus knows exactly what you're going to do. He can't be disappointed. Is that cool? Now, he might be mad at you, <laughs> but he can't be disappointed in you. Why would Jesus be mad at you if you're not saved? He's angry with the wicked every day. Is that right? The, what, what happens when Jesus Christ returns? Look at Revelation chapter 6. Revelation 6. Look at verse 12. I'm confident in my future. If you're not saved, I'm confident this is your future. Verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake... And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, 
And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us! And hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the, what's it say? The wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? I can have confidence in my future. Why? Because I'm not going to experience that wrath. How do I know that? Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to what? But to obtain salvation by our good works. Did I read that wrong? Here, let's try this again. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our church membership. By our baptism. By the fact that my dad was a deacon in a Baptist church. No. How do you obtain salvation? By the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I actually said that wrong. I said the Lord. No, He needs to be our Lord. Look at the book of Titus. So, yeah, 1 Thessalonians, keep going. Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Look at Titus, chapter 2. Look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, look, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the great God. Whether anybody acknowledges Him or not, He is the great God. Is that right? You don't believe in gravity. I don't believe that there's gravity. You know, does that make you fly away? No, no. Ty doesn't believe in gravity. Come back! Ty, believe you'll land. I promise. No, belief in gravity says nothing about gravity. It just says a lot about your intelligence. Right? You don't believe in gravity. You go up and jump off the building. You're going to you know, squirt yourself on the road because you didn't believe in gravity and it would have behooved you to believe in gravity before you jumped off the building. Is that true? Is that right? So he's the great God. Whether you believe in him or not, he is the great God, but he's our Savior. Those who believe in him, he's our Savior. He's the great God, but he's, he's our Savior. It's, it's like your dad, you know, and you want to go talk to your dad, and you get home, and you start to open the door, and there's somebody standing there. He says, may I help you? Uh, I'm going to go talk to my dad. Uh, no, no, you t- give me the message, and I'll, I'll go talk to him for you. Uh, no, I'm going to go talk to my dad. Private conversation, don't need you. That's what a priest is. Right? When Jesus Christ died, He became our high priest. And those of us who believe in Him, we have confident access to Him. That's what it said in Ephesians chapter 3. Confident access to Him. I don't have to go through a man anymore. If, if you come to me and say, will you pray for me? And I say, well, I'd better because you sure can't without me. 
you need to say, Pastor Jim's off his meds. <laughs> He's gone crazy. Because, look, you don't need me to talk to God. You don't need me to talk to God. You need Jesus to talk to God. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the second person of the Godhead. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior to have access to the Father. If you have Jesus, you're saved. You can have confidence in your future, and that brings joy. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. Are you confident in your eternal life? Are you confident in your future? 1 John chapter 1. He says in verse 4, These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Do you see that? So here John, he says, I'm writing this book so that your joy can be full. Keep your place in 1 John 1. Go to 1 John 5. Verse 13. These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So how is a person saved? By believing on the name of the Son of God. Neither is there any name given under heaven, given among men, whereby ye must be saved. That's what the Bible says in the book of Acts. So you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe in His death, burial, and resurrection. You believe that He's the Lord. And that's the name that you have to believe on. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's really important that you get that. So you believe on His name, that He's your Lord. You believe that. And you can know that you have eternal life. You can know. You can know. And what does that do? Look at 1 John 1, 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. You can have joy. You can be happy because you have confidence in your future, and that confidence is based on confidence in the truth. So, confidence in the truth, confidence in the future. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you died today, that you'd go to heaven? I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer when you were a kid. Now, if you believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when you were a child, you're going to go to heaven. If you prayed a prayer, but you're not sure what you believed in, you're, you better make sure that you're saved. Amen? There are a lot of religious people. They do a religious thing and they think that that's okay. A, a religious thing. Well, praying is good and I prayed. Well, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and I'll show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Sorry, it's 1 Corinthians 15. Give me a break. I need a vacation. All right, so 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. All right, so Paul preached the gospel, and he defines that as the death, burial, and resurrection here in the next few verses. But you're saved by receiving the gospel. That's what it says in verse, at the end of verse 1. Verse 2. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now, remember what vanity is? That of which rocks dream. What do rocks dream about? Nothing. Rocks don't dream about anything. 
Okay? It doesn't matter what a Disney movie shows you. Rocks don't say anything. They don't think. They don't dream. Nothing. Nothing. Right? That's what vanity is. So there are people that pray a prayer, but they're not really believing. They're believing in nothing. They're, they're, they're saying religious words, but they're not believing it. Look at Romans chapter, Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 9. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. The word confess, here's a really good definition of confess. Agree with God. That Confess. Agree with God. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. So you agree with God the Father about who God the Son is. That if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou might be saved. Is that what it says? What's it say? How many of you think that's an important word? Oh, yeah. You know, there are a lot of people that think, yeah, you've got to believe, but then you've got to do all this stuff. You know, if you, if you sin a certain way, then you'll lose your salvation. Do you know what your problem is? You don't know how bad you are. Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. You know, if you think that you can keep your salvation, you don't understand just how sinful you are. There's a real arrogance there, isn't there? There's a real arrogance. That's why we need the grace of God. He keeps my salvation. We'll see that here in a second back in Ephesians. But look at what it says in verse 9 again, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, that's the prayer, the Lord Jesus, but you have to believe in your heart, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that just wonderful? What a wonderful promise that is. So my salvation, I have confidence in my future because I called on the name of the Lord. I asked Him to save me. And I believed that He's the Son of God. I believe that He died on the cross for my sins. I believe that He rose from the dead. I believe that He's God. I have absolute confidence. Well, what if I stop believing? What if I stop believing? Well, here's what the Bible says. For the which cause, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Listen. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. I'm so glad I don't keep it. He keeps it. He keeps it. Why? Because I can't. I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ is absolutely sinless. He died once for all. My salvation is secure in Him. I have confidence in my future. And what great joy that is because I'm such a knucklehead. You ever get mad when you sin? And I do. I can't believe. After all these years, I thought that. After all these years of being saved, I did that. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm so glad I don't have to keep my salvation. Because if that's the case, if I died while I was thinking about that, I'd go to hell. Aren't you glad that salvation is based on what He did, not what you do? Your condemnation is based on what you do. Your salvation is based on what He did. Confidence in the truth. Confidence in the future. And then go back to Ephesians chapter 3. Confidence in my place. Confidence in my place. 
look at what it says in verse 7. So the Apostle Paul, in verse 6, we read it. That the, so the mystery was that Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. With who? With the Jews. Then it says, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. So God made Paul a preacher to the Gentiles through, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles, look at this, the unsearchable riches of Christ. What does that mean? Well, we can figure out how much Bill Gates has. You can't figure out how much Jesus has. It's unsearchable. Isn't that cool? Then look at what it says. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. What is the fellowship of the mystery? Which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Now, who are the principalities and powers in heavenly places? These are the angelic and spirit beings that have turned against God. Okay? That's, that's who we are showing things to. Isn't it cool? Like you guys want to watch movies about them. They're watching you in the church right now. The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Right? But against what? Principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness in high places. What are we supposed to do then? Put on the whole armor of God. All right? So here, not only do we fight against them, but we show them some things. To the intent, verse 10, that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by what? The church. The manifold wisdom of God. Now remember, we talked about this last week. Who's the church? Everybody that's saved. Every saved person. This is not talking about an organization. It's talking about an organism the body of Christ, the church. Everyone that's saved is in Christ, baptized by the Holy Spirit, not by water. You're baptized by the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Every saved person is a part of the church. So there are saved Presbyterians and saved Lutherans and saved Methodists and saved Catholics and saved whatever, Mormons. Or, now, listen, some of those people, if they believe what the church teaches, they're not saved. Right? But there happen to be some saved people who have believed the gospel who attend those churches. How many of you understand what I mean by that? Would you raise your hands? You understand what I'm saying. All right? So, the, so whatever organization they participate in, if they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are a part of the church, which is His body. Okay? You all understand that? Are you with me? And so what does that do? All of us saved people... We're showing to all of these principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. I want to read you something that John Phillips said about that. He said, um, for instance, talking about this word manifold. And manifold, is, it's various. It's, it's all different. It's so many different things that, you, that they're innumerable. For example, the ancient Greeks invented the word we translate atom, A-T-O-M, to describe the ultimate uncuttable building blocks of the universe. Now, how many of you understand that the atom is not the smallest of the building blocks of the universe? But the Greeks, they would have thought that that's the word that we used when we started showing that. So, Phillips goes on. In the late 19th century, the, discover of radio, the discovery of radioactivity indicated that atoms themselves have internal structure. Work on cathode rays showed that within the atom are charged particles called electrons. 
Adams, scientists realized, are much more complex than originally thought. Then they discovered that electrically positive protons and electrically neutral neutrons clump in the atom's nucleus. Whirling around this nucleus are negatively charged electrons. How many of you are having nightmares of science class right now? All right, let's go on. Um, scientists envisioned the atom as a miniature solar system, infinitely small and emptier than space. More discoveries followed and the quantum theory was stated. Three families of subatomic particles have been named, gauge particles, quarks, and leptons. Indeed, the deeper physicists delve, the more elusive final answers seem to be. Such is God's wisdom, demonstrated in creation, infinitely diversified and inexhaustible. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. We can't discover, listen, we can't discover the intricacies of creation, let alone understand the manifold wisdom of God. And you know what the wonderful thing about that is? How is the manifold wisdom of God revealed? So when these scientists, they started studying the atom, and now they find there's so much more in there, and this book was probably written 25 years ago. I'm sure that there are people in this room who could name other things that have been found that are smaller than those things, right? I can't because I don't know. But here's the cool thing. This is so cool. As soon as you get down to what you think is the smallest, someone's going to find something smaller. Right? How many of you remember when the cell phone came out? Hello? Now you can make something so small that it's just on your watch. or It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And man gets so proud of that. God made the atoms. God made your DNA. And what did he do? He wrote in his book all your members. And when they discovered what DNA is, is that in every cell of your body is a three and a half billion letter word. And the word stepped out on the edge of nothing and spoke everything into existence. And the psalmist in Psalm 139 said he wrote it in his book. How cool is that? You see, the more we learn about creation, so Christians aren't anti-science. We love it because the more that we see, the more that we see the wonder of our amazing God. There are people that will say, well, if, if we were designed, well, it's a, it's a poor design. How's your design going? Right? Have you made something better? It's very interesting. And secondly, you can't know if whether or not it's a poor design unless you know the purpose of the design. We were never intended to live in this fallen state. That was never God's purpose for us. And one day He's going to correct all that. Isn't that a blessing? But what do we get to do? My place. I have confidence in my place. Do you know what my place is? Look at back at Colossians, or I'm sorry, Ephesians. 3, verse 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. What am I showing those principalities and powers? The manifold wisdom of God. Because God can use someone like me. God has a purpose and a plan for someone like me. I have a purpose. I have a purpose. 
I know what my job is. God has given me my job description in here. Do you know what he says? Look at chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. He gives you a job. He gives you a job. Walk worthy. He tells you, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is in all and through all and in you all. He, he, He gives us all of that information. We have confidence. I know my place. I am in Christ. I am in this world to reveal His wisdom and His glory. How could we reveal His wisdom right now? Think about what happened last week. So we have... These, these two men, one is killed, I think, in Minnesota, and one is killed in Louisiana by police officers, all right? I haven't watched any of that. I don't know why they were shot. I, I don't know anything about that, all right? I know it's wrong to kill people without cause. You all agree with that? All right. And then we have courts that care for all of those things. So if someone is shot illegally, even by a police officer, we have a legal system that will care for that. Is that right? That's right. And who is it up to? It's up to the citizens. We're the juries. We're the grand juries. It's up to us as citizens to make sure that justice is done. That's the way our system works. Is that right? All right. And so now we have, when there is a shooting like that, these big uprisings, the Black Lives Matter movement and the New Black Panther movement and all of these things that are going on. So in response to the Black Lives Matter movement, we have the Blue Lives Matter Right? And that's for Smurfs. No, no, I think that's for the police. Blue Lives Matter. And so if someone starts an organization called White Lives Matter, how many of you think that might be a bad idea in our culture today? And here's the problem. Here's the problem. Christians get wrapped up in this stuff. And if I take sides in this, if I, if I get involved in the politics of it, I lose my opportunity to display the manifold wisdom of God. Because are you ready for this? Look at what the text says. Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose, which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him, Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant unto you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit based on your skin color. What's it say? In the inner man. Isn't that interesting? You know, according to the Word of God, according to the Word of God, we're not Jew or Gentile or barbarian or slave or free or male or female. We're one. We're one. Look at Acts chapter 17. The manifold wisdom of God. Look at what it says in verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein. So Acts 17, 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, 
Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. So we don't need idols and all of those types of things. Um, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to what? What's it say? To all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. And so now look at what it says in verse 30. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men. Now, do you see that, all men? Do you see that? Look at verse 26 again. And hath made of one blood all nations of men. God wants... We all just have blood. We're all just people. It doesn't matter what color you are. I'm a different color depending on how much time I spend outside. It's not about your skin color. And today, man, when you say that... In one sense, people are saying that we should be colorblind. In another sense, we're supposed to talk about color. I'm confused. You see, so if we get involved in all that garbage, then we lose the opportunity to say, look, look, I I, I don't know what your race is. I don't know, but I know it's time for you to repent. Right? And then what happens? They become a part of the church of God. And in the church, doesn't matter if you're black, doesn't matter if you're white, doesn't matter if you're Asian, it doesn't matter if you're Lilliputian, it doesn't matter. That's not real, guys. That's fiction. It doesn't matter. We're one. What does that do? What does that do? Do you think the division between races that's going on right now comes from God? No. No, 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 no. It's satanic. So what should we do? We should show the principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God where we come and we are one in Christ. And here's what happens when you lead somebody to Christ. Here's what happens. You get them established in the Word of God. And and listen, listen. Now all of a sudden, that person understands that if a man does not work, neither should he eat. Now he understands that if a man provides not for his own, he's denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now he understands that it's God's will that you abstain from fornication, that you possess your vessel in righteousness and holiness. Right Now you understand that babies only should come in a household with a godly father and a godly mother raising those children in righteousness to be holy and holy people make good citizens. Holy people don't kill their babies. Holy people don't kill people because they're a different color. Holy people don't kill people because they're police. You don't have to take sides in the argument because what happens when you do that is you stop being the church of God. And in here, at Grace Baptist Church, it doesn't matter what your racial makeup is. It does not matter. What matters is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you placed your faith and trust in Him? Well, you don't understand. The majority of people in prison are black, and that shows that you're racist. Well, no, the majority of people in prison aren't black. There's more whites than blacks in prison. Well, it's a higher percentage. Well, there's a higher percentage of crimes committed by young black men than young white men and young Hispanic men. 
Well, that just shows that, that, that crime's racist. Have you, have you seen these conversations? It's crazy. It's crazy. I saw Ben Shapiro ask this lady uh, who was saying because there's more blacks in prison that, that the, our system is racist. He said there's 90% of the people in prison are men. So is the system sexist? The arguments break down. They don't work. No, men commit more crimes than women do. Right? Well, not in our house. But generally speaking, <laughs> Lydia, she's awful. She's terrible. She's bad. <laughs> it's, <laughs> don't talk about your mother that way. Now, listen. <laughs> it's really important that we get this. How do we fix the problem of black crime? How do you fix that? Well, they get saved. They get saved. They learn how to live a godly life and a holy life. You get them out of the inner city public schools, which are destroying them. Remember those teachers in Chicago were protesting about their income? 15% of the kids in Chicago can read at grade level. And you want to raise for that? It's not our fault. It's the parents' fault. Well, they don't have parents. The whole system is destroyed. It's broken down. We've got to fix it. How do we fix it? With a government program, with more money, is that how we fix it? No, we lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever the race is, and we teach them what righteousness and true holiness is. It doesn't matter what the race is. It doesn't matter. Godly people walking in the Holy Spirit, obeying the Word of God, do not commit violent crimes. Amen? So what, are, what am I talking about? I know my place. My place is not to go stand and hold up a, a plaque at a political rally. My place is to go and lead people to Jesus Christ and get them grounded in the faith because it's Satan that's wanting to destroy everything. God wants people to be holy. He wants them to have joy. He wants their joy to be full. He wants them to know that they have eternal life. He wants them to know that God created them for a purpose. They have a reason to be here. Do you know why there's so much crime among inner city young men? Because they feel like they have no future. One of the favorite things I ever saw was this. He was a, a man who works with these inner city kids. He's a black man himself. He's a business owner. And listen to what he said to these young men. He doesn't ask them, what do you want to do when you grow up? Listen to what he asks them. What kind of business do you want to own when you grow up? How many recognize that's a different question? And, they, they, and, and here's the, what happens. They have never one time thought about it. They live in a cycle of hopelessness. Because of the crime, the businesses leave, and so there's no jobs, and so these kids turn to crime. We've got to fix those kinds of problems. That's the problem. The home situation is horrible. Dads, 70% unwed mothers, unwed births. 70%. And you can almost guarantee in those kids a child born into a home without a father is almost guaranteed to grow up in poverty. So it's loving to teach those young people, man, we're going to get saved. You're going to have respect for your body. You're going to realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you young ladies, you're not going to let some pinhead boy touch you until you're married. Young men, you're going to respect those young ladies like your mother or like your sister. And you're going to treat them that way until you walk that girl down the aisle and you put a ring on her finger before God and before God's people. 
what does that do? That almost guarantees success in our culture. So interesting. It's so interesting. Well, I don't feel real successful. Well, that's just because you're unthankful. <laughs> it's really important. It's really important that we see, I know my place. I know the truth. I know my future. I know my place. And then I know my position. What is my position? I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God. I know who I am. I know what I believe. I'm not going to have my beliefs defined by the Democratic Party. I'm not going to have my beliefs defined by the Republican Party. I'm not going to have my beliefs defined by the television commentators and radio personalities. I'm going to have my positions defined by the Word of God. I'm going to know what I believe. When someone says, what do you think about all the racial issues in America? What, what, what do you think about the racial divisions in America? Man, I think that people in America need to be saved. I think they need to be saved. Everyone needs to be saved. They need to be loved. They need to recognize they have a purpose. They need to recognize that they have value. That's the answer to every problem in America. That's the answer. We know the answers. Let's stop messing around with all these silly answers that people try and give. Where you have one person yelling at another person. They don't listen to each other because neither of them actually have the truth. We have the truth. Let's stand in it. Confidence. Confidence. But the greatest confidence we have, let's look at it and we'll be done. Look at, back at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, verse 12. In whom, that's the Father, through Jesus Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith. Look at what it says, not in Him, by the faith of Him. Now, let, let's just be honest. I'll raise my hand. How many of you have ever had a time when your faith was weak? Would you raise your hand? Do you know that has absolutely nothing to do with your access? This is the faith of Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus Christ's faith never wavers? It never wavers. That's why you can have access, boldness, and access to God with confidence. Would you like to know for sure that God's answering your prayers or hearing your prayers? Would you like to know that you have that access? You do if you're saved. Wherefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly. Boldness. Boldness. Confidence. So here's my last question to you. Would your life be defined? If someone were going to define you, would those two words be used? Boldness and confidence. Boldness to speak the truth. Confidence in who you are. Confidence in who Christ is. Confidence in who Christ has called you to be. Confidence in your eternity. Confidence in the fact that you're loved and you're important and you're valued and you're needed in God's work. Confidence, boldness and confidence. Or as, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Is that going to win anybody? Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? Is He your Savior? Do you know Him? Confidence and boldness. If those two words don't define you, bold and confident, well, that's just not my personality. I'm not talking about your personality. I'm talking about your spiritual makeup, confidence and boldness. If that doesn't define you, if that doesn't define you, Christ wants to give it to you. 
He wants you to have that. It'll change your life. It'll change your world. It'll change your future. And it'll change the future of those around you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much.